It's not uncommon in life for situations to change. Uh, To witness a reversal of fortunes, take sport for example, I'm sure at some point we've all seen our team fall so far behind that their defeat seemed inevitable and then out of nowhere they pull it back, they turn it around and they go on to win the match or the tournament. It's a complete reversal of fortune. I do have to caveat that the Cricket World Cup is just around the corner. Australia fans, I don't want to give you false hope. It can happen, but, well, you know. (laughs) Moving on. All kinds of situations can be reversed. Uh, A person might be seriously ill, but then they make a full recovery. Uh, Someone may be sentenced in a court of law. They appeal, and the sentence is overturned. It's reversed. Uh, In Britain, they're on the verge of reversing the most significant democratic vote of a generation. It seems that almost anything can be reversed. But if there's one thing we know cannot be reversed, it's death, isn't it? Death is the one thing that is absolutely final. That is, of course, until we come to the story of Easter. As Christians, we believe that God entered into his own creation in the person of Jesus Christ. John 1 verse 10 says, He was in the world, And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. What a tragic statement that is. The world did not recognize its creator. I think of Jesus at the home of Simon the Pharisee, eating with all those super religious folk. They were sat at a table with God. They were speaking face to face with God. And yet they were too short-sighted to see it. Uh, More than that, they hated him. They hated Jesus, even though he's the only person who never did anything wrong. Jesus is the only person who ever lived who we can describe as good in every sense of the word. And they hated him for it because he exposed their hypocrisy and their double standards. He exposed their sin. And so eventually... They created an opportunity to seize Jesus and put him on trial. It it was an unlawful trial held in the dead of night. They called in false witnesses, but the witnesses' testimonies didn't agree. Nevertheless, they found Jesus guilty of blasphemy, and they sentenced him to death. Let us think about that for a moment. They found the almighty and eternal God guilty of blasphemy. And they sentenced him to death. They mocked Jesus. They spat on him. They punched him. They slapped him. They probably pulled out clumps of his beard. They were relentless in their ridicule and their scorn and their abuse. And after some toing and froing with the Romans, Pilate is pushed into a corner and he eventually gives the order for Jesus to be crucified. Crucifixion was not just a means of capital punishment. It was an instrument of torture. It was a a demonstration of Roman power, and it was a way for Rome to completely humiliate its enemies. Scott spoke about that on Friday. And there on a hill, just outside the walls of Jerusalem, Jesus died on a cross with a criminal or a rebel either side of him. 
But the Pharisees weren't content with that. They had heard Jesus say that after three days he would rise again. And so they wanted to make sure there was absolutely no way that that body could be removed from the tomb. And so they sealed the stone and they posted a guard. And if Jesus were any other person, a mere human being, that sequence of events would be utterly irreversible. Apart from the fact that Jesus was dead, his credibility had been destroyed, his authority overthrown, his reputation left in tatters, his ministry ended abruptly. If Jesus were a mere man, not only would he have remained dead and buried, but the memory of him would have been short-lived. If Jesus were a mere man, it's highly unlikely that anybody in the modern world would even have heard of him. But Jesus is not a mere man. And the Pharisees were engaged in the futile task of trying to keep God in the grave. And for them, things start to unravel. Because early on the first day of the week, when a little band of women go to Jesus' tomb, they are confronted with the most incredible scene. An earthquake, an angel... Two terrified guards lying on the ground, shaking, and an empty tomb. The grave couldn't hold Jesus. You know, the stone wasn't rolled back so that Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled back so that the women could see in. And nobody denies that Jesus' tomb was empty on that first Easter morning, which is why the chief priests and the elders had to create a lie to account for the fact of the empty tomb. The true light that gives light to everyone has come into the world, but the world didn't recognize him short-sightedly. The world hated him unfairly, tried him unjustly, mocked him relentlessly, murdered him brutally, attempted to keep him in the grave unsuccessfully and then tried to explain the resurrection away unconvincingly. Jesus is alive, and it is the greatest reversal that the world has ever seen. Death itself has been defeated, and uh, the effect that this had on Jesus' disciples was dynamite. At first, the Gospels describe a mixture of joy, bewilderment, and even suspicion. But very soon after the resurrection, the disciples, all of them, are left in no doubt that Jesus is alive. And as we might expect, it has a transformative effect on them. For the disciples, Jesus' death was an earth-shattering calamity that plunged them into fearful paralysis. As far as they were concerned, all was lost. All their hopes and dreams shattered. The resurrection brought around a complete reversal. Almost overnight, they became fearless missionaries who went out into the world against all the odds, proclaiming the good news that Jesus is alive. Chuck Colson was a special counsel to President Richard Nixon. He was embroiled in the Watergate scandal of the 1970s. He went to prison for his part in it. Uh, He was... uh, in prison for quite some time. He came to faith during that time. He gave his life to Jesus. And here is what Chuck Colson had to say about the resurrection. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. 
How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead and then proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. And we might also add most of them were martyred. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. The resurrection radically changed Jesus' disciples. It brought about a total reversal in the trajectory of their lives, and the same thing is happening today. Isn't it fitting that on Easter Sunday we have baptisms? Baptism vividly symbolizes our participation in this great reversal. Baptism is a move from death to life. When a baby is sprinkled with the waters of baptism, it symbolizes that child being washed clean from the stain of sin. Sin is everything that we think and say and do that goes against God's perfect plan for our lives, God's perfect will for our lives. You might say, well, how can a baby sin? But sin is like a hereditary disease that infects every single human being. By baptizing an infant, it's like we're taking them by the hand and we're leading them towards God. Of course, one day they will need to make a decision for themselves to keep moving in that direction. But until they're old enough to do that, the parents have made the decision on their behalves. And it is the most wonderful decision that anyone can ever make for their children. We'll also be witnessing adult full immersion baptism, which isn't more important or more significant than infant baptism, but it is perhaps even more symbolic. When a person is taken below the waters of baptism, it symbolizes them dying with Jesus and going down to the grave. The old life, the old person is dead. When the person is brought up out of the water, it symbolizes them rising to new life with Jesus. It's like the old person dies and is resurrected or reborn a new creation. Jesus reversed death, not just for himself, but for anyone who puts their trust in him. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we stop moving away from God. We start moving towards God. Our future is no longer death and decay, but life and perfection. Of course, none of us will be perfect this side of heaven. But just as Jesus' disciples were changed and transformed by the power of the uh, resurrection, the reality of the resurrection, changed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, so too we can expect to see a change occur in our lives. The way we think, the way we live, the things that we set our hearts on. If we participate in this great reversal, how can that not be the case? How can this change not occur? Romans 8 verse 11 says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Baptism signifies new life. Life 
that will last forever, a life that is changed and transformed and will continue to be changed and transformed until we're made perfect in the new creation. The empty tomb, the resurrection assures us that Jesus has charted a way through death to everlasting life and we are called to follow him. We're invited to follow him. But that means dying to our old sinful life and being raised to new life with Jesus. This is the great reversal. And we rejoice this Easter that we get to witness two families who are affirming their participation in the resurrection life that Jesus offers to each one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is such an exciting day as we remember your resurrection and what it means. That death and sin need no longer have a hold over us. That we can be raised to new and eternal life with you. And we pray that this fact will seep deep into our hearts this Easter. Pray, Heavenly Father, that we will live lives of wholehearted commitment and faithfulness to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.